This is Chris McGowan has a podcast too. Welcome back. Sorry, I've been away. Um, I really don't have any good excuses, but you know, hey, life happens, and I've learned my lesson from the old version of this because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't post anything for like a year, and I was like, why? What's the deal, iTunes? Why did you just like cut me off? Well, they have a cutoff point. A year. So I got to keep current on this. So that's, that's, that's my bad. Um, today, as you can see in the subject line, or the I should say the title, this one is about writing. Because there's two things I really wanted to talk about. And I was like, do I really have a half hour? Do I really have a half hour in me to talk about these things individually? And it, and it turns out, no. But I can do a half hour with the two of them combined. So... And who knows, maybe in a weird improv kind of way, they'll they'll tie together at the end. And by the way, sidebar, you may hear what sounds like edit points in this. And I realized I was listening to a recent uh, Jen Kirkman podcast, and she just hits record for the hour. I mean, she'll go to the door and, and get and get food and talk to the delivery guy, which I think is really cool. I, I'm not gutsy enough yet to do that, so maybe one day I, I will be that gutsy, but... I, I, I burp and I take drinks of water and you, you don't need to hear that. So first things first, uh, dreams, dream sequences and dreams. I've been running something recently and at some point, if I haven't already, I will dig into that. I think I did already, but at some point I'll, I'll start sharing those experiences. But I've been thinking about a lot about writing lately and, and story, and devices you use. And actually, in this thing that I am writing, there is a dream sequence. It's a little more complicated than just a dream sequence, but for all intents and purposes, it is a dream sequence. And, and, and so maybe that's why it's been on my mind. But lately, I gotta say, watching dream sequences in anything, I, I've said to myself, why? Why are we doing this? And, and this is very interesting because... I am also going to take up your time in your podcast time to recount my own dreams because I've been writing down interesting dreams in my on my phone because I have I have no use for these dreams otherwise you know um <laughs> I kind of don't want to ruin this one but I have a really short dream journal thing that makes me laugh reading it back so so I want to share that but but I guess here here's my issue with dream sequences in TV shows. And I'll give you a great example. Uh, a show that I was really hopeful for, and it's kind of let me down a little bit because of this This following dream sequence, is a show called Mr. Robot on USA Network. And maybe I'll spend more time down the road getting more into that later. But there was a recent episode where um, something happened, right? And we see a whole bunch of images and very... I would say about two minutes in, I realized we were in a dream sequence. And it goes on for a good 10 to 15 minutes. And then we hit a commercial break. And we find out the dream sequence actually started a little bit before than we were led to believe. A very common device. Another very common device you'll see is usually in the beginning of a show... If you don't have a, a cold open, like a Doctor Who kind of cold open, where there's some monster chasing somebody and then there's a scream, the other kind of cold open or the beginning of a show 
is you know some sort of dream sequence there's random images and then they the the main character wakes up in a cold sweat and we go to credits right and and for forget forget the tropiness of it for a second because it is turned into a bit of a trope so that's kind of why when it happened on mr robot i was like oh really a dream sequence but i realize what what bothers me about dream sequences is because a like real dreams like the <laughs> like the very dream journal i'm going to be ta- talking into this microphone about they don't make any sense and maybe maybe i'm influenced by this american life episode where uh, one of the producer's mother i think it's the one who does cereal i think it's her mother they had fun they had a fun episode where they went through topics of conversation that her mother thinks are stupid that you shouldn't be talking about and one of them is your dreams and so the whole point of the podcast episode was each of the different reporters tried to tell her mother a story about those items that would be interesting to try to change her mind let's just say the dream one did not change her mind she still thinks it's pointless because and here was her reasoning dreams really only could possibly make sense to the dreamer. So so the, the dream journal entry that I would narrate to you really only makes sense to me. And it, it's funny to me to read that back to somebody who has no context of it because it, 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 it's a bunch of nonsense, right? Now you could sit here and, and talk about Jungian philosophy and and the collective consciousness and, and how we're all tapping into some sort of universal symbolism on some sort of subconscious level or you could be metaphysical and say these are some sort of uh, dream guardians from the afterlife coming through and giving you messages and i'm getting exhausted thinking about all that stuff for me dreams are a bunch of random images some and and if you want to make sense of them or, or interpret them as something more than they are great but really, it's just a bunch of synapses firing. That being said, if you want to, in a story, go down the path that dreams are actually symbols and mean something to the person in the story. Okay. They only mean something to the person in the story. So if I'm sitting there watching Buffy have a dream sequence, those images that you are showing me are, mean something to Buffy, the character, but they don't mean anything to me, the viewer. And and I'm and I don't mean to slag off on Buffy. I'm a huge Buffy, the Vampire Slayer fan, and she had some serious dream sequences, especially in season five, I believe. Feel free to write in if I'm wrong. But going back to that Mr. Robot episode, and and if you've seen it, you know what I mean. It to be realistically dreamlike, it has to kind of be nonsense. It has to be kind of disjointed. Uh, uh, you know, you know, worlds mixing together, people maybe not making sense. Um, so, so for me as the viewer, I'm just seeing a bunch of again random images. The only way it could possibly make any sense or have any sort of a narrative value is that if the person out of the dream sequence goes, "Now I know what to do." But for me, watching it, this is this is clearly not the real world. So nothing in here is going to matter. If someone dies, if someone confesses their love for to somebody, if someone overcomes an obstacle, it doesn't mean anything in the real world. Now you you could say 
This is a character overcoming some sort of internal demon to overcome some sort of external force. Great. But do you really need to show me 10 minutes of of clowns uh, jumping around and, and talking nonsense? That's that's what's starting to bug me about dream sequences. I guess I guess what it starts to feel like, and maybe this is only nowadays that it feels tropey, but it feels like indulgent, or, or everyone's got to do a dream sequence. But I, I don't need to see it. Is what I'm saying. I don't need to see it. If you want to have a dream sequence, have it mean something to me, not to uh, Barry Allen or kid bruce wayne or, or or just cut it out you know maybe have them go to sleep and wake up and then they could say oh i had a dream no no i'm better that'd work for me again having said all this prepare for chris mcgowan has a dream journal podcast episodes maybe i'll change my mind about dream sequences i don't know but actually this is a nice segue into the second writing thing i wanted to talk about I don't know if you can tell it in my voice, in my episodes or not, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a passionate man, at least when it comes to TV. And I'm one of the many people who loved Lost. And I am also one of the many people who did not like the ending to Lost. Now, let me pause there because uh, a writer I greatly respect, who I may have mentioned already, Javier Grigio Markswatch. Hopefully, I said that right, sir. He uh, wrote on many shows I like. Uh, he he uh, created and show ran the show The Middleman, which, if you have not heard of it or seen it, please stop and, and watch that right now. It is uh, as close to an American Doctor Who as you're going to get next to The Librarians, um, if I can be so bold. There's a comic book, and there's a one season, I believe, on, from ABC Family. That's also available on DVD. Anyway, I, I like him a lot as a, as a writer. He has a great podcast about writing. And he wrote on Lost for two years. And he had this book of essays that came out a few months ago. And in advance of that book, he published a very lengthy entry about his time on Lost. And, and, and basically trying to get at the the crux of what is in the wake of Lost. I know that sounds dramatic, but... Ever since the show ended, I wanted to do this really long blog post about why the Lost finale did not work. And and, and for, for various reasons, that hasn't happened. And so I was like, you know what? I have this stupid podcast now. I'm just gonna do an episode about it. I'm just gonna... Let it all out. There's two major stumbling blocks. One, I have forgotten all the specifics, you know, the specific things in the show that bothered me. Because I had a list at one point. Now, there's plenty of wikis and, and other blogs out there that detail other people's complaints and things they would wanted answered. I realized if I wanted to do the same, I would have to go back fire up those DVDs and watch that whole show from the beginning again. And I gotta be honest, I can't do it. Not only do I not have time, but it's kind of like going through a breakup 
you know, you, you go through the breakup and you're really sad and you're really depressed and you come out on the other end having, you know, dealt with those feelings. But if you start from the beginning again of like when you're really in love and, and this and this person's awesome, then you go back through the breakup again. You're going through all those emotions again. And, and, and listen, folks, I don't want to go through that again. So that kind of put the kibosh on really even doing a full podcast episode, which was the other major stumbling block. You know, maybe too much time has passed. Maybe everyone has already said all they need to say. Maybe I should have done this seven years ago when it was fresh. But then I saw this article by uh, Javier, and again, I respect him quite a bit. So I wanted to read his essay to maybe get some insight before I go running my trap, because maybe he answers some questions. I really encourage you to read it if you haven't already, especially if you were a fan of Lost, whether you like the ending or not. He happened to be part of the show those first two seasons, which I think are some of the best anyway. It's the tail end of the show where I feel like, you know, the wheels came off the school bus, if that's an analogy. And listen, I am very aware of how TV shows are made. In in fact, you know, in, in being a Doctor Who fan, there's a lot of jokes about continuity and how difficult it can be to weather the storms of continuity when you've had so many different writers and so many different showrunners so many different people in charge over the years it is impossible nearly impossible us fans feel it's easy but when you're actually in that room and you're trying to make a tv show and you have 50 years of continuity i i can't even imagine how difficult that must be and even in you know reading javier's article and even though i knew this stuff going in especially having a show on a major broadcast network like ABC, you are dealing with not just a writer, not just an actor, but so many executives, so many people who want to have their stamp on this thing. You wonder how it made sense at all, period. I mean, you and I know how difficult a showrunner job must be based on just what we know as fans. But let me tell you, it's even harder when you're actually doing it. There's this... So many people, especially if it's a successful show, you know, the good thing about shows, say, the librarians, is that it's it's successful, but it's not, like, on everyone's radar. It's doing well. Don't get me wrong. But it's not, like, what Lost became. It became the show. I was the guy in the office that after it aired, that Thursday morning, everyone would ask me what the hell just happened. And I gave everyone a little brief, like a 10-minute breakdown of the mythology, what's going on, who's who's doing what, what does that mean, all that stuff. I was that guy. But it was probably the last true water cooler show. You could say Mad Men might be, or maybe Walking Dead, but it's not as much as Lost was a water cooler show. That was a show everybody was watching. And not to, I mean, Javier's blog entry is long, so I, I do not want to sum it up in, in a very pithy sentence because it is well written and well worth your time but i did leave it even knowing all the pitfalls that they had in front of them and knowing that some things could not have been revealed due to the nature of how jj abrams works the enormous pressure damon lindelof was under 
Just so many things working against it. Knowing all that, I, I think what is still there that I want to take with me and, and maybe explain to others who did not have the same feeling I did is two things. One, for better or for worse, especially people who are fans of things, we listen very well. If you say, notice this, we notice it. Even if you think you're being coy and be like, hmm, maybe notice this, I don't know. We notice it. We zero in on it. Even in the time during Lost, I would say the obsessive fan had long been around. So if you're if you're building these awesome extensions of the show and these games that they did in the off seasons, that just it just makes us even more hyper vigilant. And and I think it was all great. You know, the the extended experience stuff that they did. I played all those games. Uh, in Javier's article you'll see about how they pitched, you know, publishers to insert lost references in, in books that didn't make any sense. Like like they were seeding these seeds and I loved it and I still do of being hyper vigilant that these things matter. And you could say to me, yes, Chris, and I'll take a quick sidebar when I say this, really what matters are the characters. And I'm taking uh, improv classes at the Nerdist school right now. And we're actually working on this exact thing, which, which made me think of talking about this. One of their philosophies, I guess, is that they want to take real characters and real people and put them in extraordinary situations think fear of the walking dead you know there's a zombie apocalypse but but you're going to see people walking around playing basketball at least that's what the billboards lead me to believe is going to happen so so what we're working on is say you know i'm i'm in a scene with my uh, sister but there's uh vampires that come out at night the whole thing can't be about the vampires coming out at night her and i need to be brother and sister and relate and, and talk about things brothers and sisters would talk about at the same time there's vampires, right? And I think that's true for improv as well as writing. And I think that's what led to Lost's success, especially those first seasons, was that we have an extreme situation happening on an island. Weird stuff is going on. But, and I'll be honest here, I shed a tear with one of uh, Jack's flashback episodes i believe it was the second one that focused on him where him and his wife um eventually separated like that was powerful emotional stuff it was it was great and you did care about the people however if you're going to also at the same time tell us all these other things are just as important and just as interesting you have to explain it i'm sorry and actually, let me clarify. Actually, you don't have to explain it. But you have to explain why we spend time on it. On one hand, I get it. Part of JJ's thing is that the fun is in the mystery in and of itself. And to loop back to Javier's great blog post, essay, I should say. I should stop calling it a blog post. It's an essay. The essay explains that, or tries to answer the question, did we know what we were doing? Or did we make it up as we go along? And he very humorously kind of says both, right? But that's fine by me. And maybe I'm in the minority there. I I don't really care if they didn't know the answers at some point. 
And actually, I'm not even sure I care if I never heard the answer. I just want to know why. And, and, and in his essay, there are some things that were explained on a document they had that they never quite got to in the show. Fine. But I think what was so unfulfilling for so many people is that even if even if we didn't quite get the answer, what we were left with the impression of is that we shouldn't have cared about any of that stuff in the first place. That we were silly to wonder, you know, how how the uh, how that time machine device worked, or the rabbit, or gosh, I, I don't even have the list in front of me. All these questions, all, all the mysteries that we did invest time in, never had an answer. And I think that is where people get hung up. And I think that connects somehow to my issue with dreams in TV shows. Why are you showing me this dream sequence for 10 minutes if I'm not meant to understand it? Now, there are some dream sequences that are done more cleverly than others. But to be accurate in dreams, it, 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 should, be, it should be random and confusing, right? So give me a reason why... I, as the viewer, need to be seeing this right now. What is it that I, what hints are you giving me that I need? Because if I come out of that dream sequence, just going, oh, well, that wasn't real. Then you wasted 10 minutes of your show. And and probably you needed to pad it because there was some story issues missing. And I think that's the same thing with Lost, right? I don't know why I was asked to invest in some of those mysteries when I wasn't meant to understand them anyway. The whole purgatory thing, that uh, you know, and that's addressed. I know it wasn't purgatory. I know they all died, and they were in some sort of stupid church and went to heaven. <laughs> anyway, that aside, I, <laughs> I remember how I felt during that finale. And, when I, and, and as I neared the end, I, I realized, oh, we're not going to get that. And, th- and that's what was disappointing. And then I feel like an idiot. Now, before I wrap this up, I do want to say I'm also aware that some answers are always going to be unfulfilling. Believe me. I mean, Doctor Who, uh, I reference that show every chance I get. There was a call to find out the doctor's real name. And that's one of those things that there is no answer to that question that'll be satisfying. No matter what the doctor's name is the doctor's real name because he's just known as the doctor but he has a real name and people have hinted at a real name there is no name in the world that'll be satisfying and the, and the show got out the show was aware of it Stephen Moffat was finally realized you know what and maybe other writers did too but when the question was on his plate wisely he came to the conclusion that no answer would be truly satisfying so he dodged it. He, he didn't answer that question. And at the same time, he made it clear to us, the audience, that the answer and the question aren't important. So we can just let it go. And I think that is the difference between unnecessary dream sequences and that lost finale. Whereas we're told this is important to the audience, and yet it, it, there was no answer. I think that satisfies, you may not realize it right now, 
but this is actually therapeutic for me because this loss thing has carried with me for a very long time. <laughs> that sounds so. That sounds so pathetic, but it's true. Uh, for those of you who are still angry about it, I'm preaching to the choir. I still recommend you read Javier's uh, essay because it does answer some questions, especially if you're. And I don't mean this to sound uh, arrogant, but especially if you don't know how a writer's room works and how a TV show works, especially a show that of that caliber. You know, a Breaking Bad doesn't happen all the time. So most showrooms are like Lost, where it's a little chaotic, lots of people coming in and out, lots of executives who want to get their hand in it. So read uh, that essay if you want. I might have a link in the show notes for that. And show notes is basically the description thing. So I don't mean to sound like there's a huge show note archive or something. And, and you know, hey, if I'm looking for feedback, send me uh, dream sequences that you think work, that, that you actually, it enhanced your experience of the narrative. Because I'm working on something that has that, like I said. Okay, I think I've talked enough. I'm almost at my time. You can find me on Twitter at Magoogs, M-A-G-O-O-G-S, Magoogs. Or um, chrismcgowan.net. It's really a Tumblr. So I think there's an Ask Me button somewhere. I think. But I'm on Twitter, so you can hit me, the, hit me up there. Especially if you're not a bot. I have like 1,200 followers. I'm pretty sure 700 of them are not real. So, But I do check it obsessively, so I will respond to that too. Okay, um, that's about it. Have a good week.